Well, as we continue going through the Gospel of Luke, I want to begin today by telling you the story of Gladys. Starts in about 1930. And in 1930, Gladys was a 26-year-old woman. And in her hometown of London, England, she went to a revival. There at the revival, she heard the preacher talk about dedicating your life to God. And she responded. She went all in, pushed all her chips to the middle of the table for Jesus. She was all in. And as a result of that time, she felt called to do missions in China. Well, Gladys had several problems approaching that. Number one, she, as I said, she's 26. She's young. And in that culture, in that time, it mattered a lot. She was a woman. Uh, as well, she was poor. She was from a working class family. She had worked as a housemaid since she was in her young teens. And, and then as well, uh, she was not the brightest bulb on the tree. She was poorly educated and had a significant learning disability. So if you roll all those together, she's a poor, uneducated young woman. That means she was the lowest rung on the social ladder at that time and place. What could she do for God? And here she felt called to mission, so she applied to China Inland Mission. She was accepted into their preliminary three-month course that kind of prepared missionaries and also test drove them to see if they would work or not. And she flushed out. During that time, she was deemed unqualified because of her lack of progress in the language acquisition. She was rejected. Now she's dejected, but still feels called towards missions in China. So she eventually heard of a 73-year-old woman who was doing missions in China that was looking for a young woman to join her in the task, to assist her. She started to write and correspond with this woman. And eventually the older woman said, yes, I will take you on. So she accepted her, and yet there was one hitch. She said, you need to get yourself to China. Well, that costs coin. It was expensive. Remember, she's poor. She doesn't, she's a housemate. She doesn't have much money. So she started saving. Now, she couldn't save enough to get ship fare. She was going to have to go the harder way by train. So she bought a ticket on the Trans-Siberian Railway, which means she would go through Russia down toward China at a time when Russia and China were in an undeclared war. Not great, but she, she made the journey. Well, the train, and then after that, then there was, a, there was a ship, and then another train, and then a bus. And at the end of the bus, time for the mule. So it was mule travel to get to this very remote village in which she would serve. She got there. The town was remote. It was a stopping point for these mule caravans that would transport coal and other goods, six-week, three-month journeys uh, to get them where they needed to go. Well, they'd stop in this town. So what Gladys and this older woman decided to do, I know how we'll do missions here. We'll set up an inn for these travelers. And they did. And then once they were ready, the older woman would send Gladys out when the mule caravan was coming. Gladys would take hold of the lead mule, lead it into their courtyard. Every mule would follow Boom. into the courtyard and they would feed the mules. They would give the guys lodging and food. And for the evening entertainment, stories of Jesus. It was a great mission approach. So they started to share the message of Christ in this way. During that time, uh, Gladys mastered the language. But unfortunately, before too long, the old woman died. Now we've got a very young Gladys 
there in China alone, what is she going to do? (laughs) Interestingly, two weeks later, the Mandarin showed up. Now, you recognize Mandarin as like the name of one of the more prominent languages in China. But Mandarin was the government official at that time. So the Mandarin showed up at the inn. And what it was looking for, look, around that time, they had just outlawed the practice of foot binding. Do you know this practice? So it was, it was desirable in their culture that the, the Chinese women had very small feet. And so what they would do to accomplish that is they would take a young girl's feet and bind it with hard bandages so that it would kind of curl under as it grows and she would have this desirable, that was a horrible barbaric practice. So they outlawed it, but it was also very traditional. So families would continue it. So what they needed was a foot inspector, but it had to be a woman so that she could go into the women's chambers and check the feet. And she herself had to have unbound feet. Gladys. So they hire Gladys to do this. Now she is a, uh, has kind of travels around by official government decree, going into house after house, not only inspecting feet, but sharing Christ with them as she does. It's a perfect thing that God provided for her. Well, she became very respected by the people. So much so. Okay, in one place, a prison riot broke out. Prisons had horrible conditions. Riot broke out. It was so bad, soldiers would not even go in. So the warden asked the Mandarin, would you send us Gladys? <laughs> what? So she shows up. She said, what do you want me to do? Here's what he said to her. He said, you have been preaching that those who trust in Christ have nothing to fear. Don't, don't you just love it when they throw your preaching back in your face? That's great. So she went in. She quelled the riot and instituted prison reform in the process. Amazing, amazing little woman. They took to calling her Iwada. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Iwada, which means the virtuous one. Gave her a name like that. She adopted the Chinese style of dress. In fact, she eventually became a Chinese citizen. Uh, Around that time then, she started to collect children, orphans, casts off that that just were hurting. Took one into her her house and then another and then another. Eventually, she had 100. 100 orphans as a part of her family now. And that was all well and good until the Japanese invaded. When the Japanese invaded, they put a bounty out on three people, the Mandarin, a local merchant and Iwada. They were after her. She had to flee with her 100 children. Listen, (laughs) you folks know how we whine about it when we have to like travel 10 10 hours to the coast with our two, three kids in the car, right? Okay. She had to trek over the mountains for 12 days with 100 children. It's amazing, amazing woman. Her name's Gladys Alward. She died in 1970. And a book was written about her entitled The Small Woman. How wonderful. The Small Woman. After all, remember, she was poor. She was young. She was a woman. Insignificant, uneducated, unqualified, rejected. What in the world could she do for the kingdom of God? Maybe you get a feel for where we're going today. Because we're, we're in Luke chapter 13, and we come to verse 18. That's where we're going to start today. And verse 18 starts with these three words. He said, therefore. 
That's Jesus. He said, therefore. Now listen, let me give you a principle of biblical interpretation. Anytime you come across the word therefore, you need to ask the question, what is the therefore? Therefore. Okay? Like, it's a, it's a clue of context. What that is saying is what you're about to read is linked to what you just read. And when you read scriptures, context is king. Got to keep the context. So I want you to know the context of what we're about to read. It is connected to the preceding story, and that's something that Pastor Jared preached on about two weeks ago. And that was when Jesus went into a synagogue on the Sabbath, and he found there an old, evidently an older woman who was bent over double, disabled, crippled. So this old crippled woman, and remember Jesus healed her, and the officials of the synagogue hated it. How do you heal on the Sabbath? What are you doing? And Jesus busted their chops, remember? Like you, you'll take care of your, do- and your donkey and your ox on the Sabbath. Can't I take care of this woman made in the image of God? But you see, in their culture, she was doubly insignificant. She was not only disabled, but she was a woman. Like, what a waste. What, what can she do for the kingdom of God? And Jesus is going to say, oh, really? He said, therefore. That's the context. He said, therefore. Now, now let's look at the first part of our scripture for today. It's verses 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. What's going on is Jesus is saying, Look, you guys in the synagogue, you obviously don't get what the kingdom of God is like. So let me tell you what it's like. And he gives us this stuff. And he wants us today to know what the kingdom of God is like. And there are five hints in there that I want to point out, I want to draw out. And the first one is this, that the kingdom of God, you know what it's like? It's it's small things with big impact. Small things with, with big impact. So he gives two examples of small, unimpressive things that make big impact, like the mustard seed. Now, I'll show you a picture of it later, but but for now, just know, it was like the tiniest little seed that those people would have known at that time. That's a tiny little thing. And yet, you put it in the garden, and it grows into this shrubbish, bushes, tree thing that the birds can nest in it. Small thing, big impact. Or, Or he says it's like leaven. Now, this might be yeast, but it was more likely like fermented dough that they'd hold back a portion and then they'd take some of it and put it in the next lump of dough and then it would spread throughout. And so you take this small little bit and you put it in this dough. Now, he said it was three measures of flour. That would have been 50 pounds of dough. That's like a lot of dough, all right? And so this one little bit, but it'll permeate throughout and impact the entire 50 pounds. See, the kingdom of God is not natural to us as fallen people. We tend to think in terms of big, strong, and impressive. And that's what the Jewish leaders were thinking in that synagogue on that Sabbath. Big, strong, and impressive. What can this crippled old woman do? Jesus is saying, look, you've got to understand, God plus one is a majority. 
God plus one. You take the smallest insignificant thing and put it in the hands of God and that is a dangerous weapon in the hands of God. Can have huge impact. What about you? Are you too young to have impact for the kingdom of God? Maybe you're too old. Maybe you're disabled, poor, weak, dumb, ugly. I don't know what you're saying to yourself on the inside. Maybe you're just too damaged. Maybe you've lived a life in the past and you're just like, I got too much baggage. Maybe you're just too common to be used by God. (laughs) It's not what Jesus would say. Jesus would say, if you could be a Gladys Allward. Now, some of you don't recognize Gladys's name. Maybe you recognize the name of Dwight Moody. D.L. Moody. Might recognize it because of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago or Moody Broadcasting, Moody Radio. Moody started out as a shoe salesman. Poorly educated. Not an ordained pastor, but felt called to preach. And he's credited with this saying. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. An uneducated, unordained shoe salesman. Moody. What an impact. You know what, maybe though, maybe you're not Gladys, maybe you're not moving. Maybe, maybe you just bloom where you're planted. Small things that have a big impact. Like this week, you know what you can do? Smile at people. Like a, a sincere, empathetic smile to people. It'll, it impacts. Or maybe you give people that you interact with this week, give them the gift of your listening ear. People really want to be heard and they're hurting. And maybe you'll just listen this week. Or maybe, maybe you'll say an encouraging word to them, to lift them up, to edify them, like not to preach at them, but just to encourage and affirm them. Listen, you know how you've had really hard weeks, right? And you're down and nobody around you knows it. And then somebody who doesn't even know it says something encouraging and it means the world to you. Can you be that person this week for other people? Well, those are small things, but they have big impact. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Small things with big impact. Now, that's the first hint Jesus gives us. The second thing woven in there is that the kingdom of God, it takes time. It takes time. So he gave us two examples, yeast working through bread. You bakers, you know, that takes time, right? (laughs) Want to know what really takes time? A seed growing into a tree takes a lot of time. You ever watch a tree grow? I'm giving you homework this week. I want you to spend an hour watching a tree grow. And no, you can't have your phone with you. <laughs> That's just going to be boring. Why? Because you don't see a tree grow hour to hour. You see it grow year to year. Time is woven in there. Now, what the Jews wanted at that moment in history is they wanted a conquering military messiah, a crash, a splash, a quick revolt, kingdom of God right now. Jesus is saying, nope, doesn't work like that. It's going to take time. So he gives... Two examples of small things that have big impact, but both of them take time. Now, let me ask you, when you think of your life goals, are you thinking of things that are kind of reachable in a couple years? Right? Maybe it's making it big. Maybe it's pursuit of pleasure. Maybe it is having impressive kids that justify my existence. Is that too honest? Too close to home? Right? Um, 
What if instead you had a goal that really took some time, like loving your God so much that you, your life starts to look like his? What, what if it's the development of godly character in your life? What if your goal became that you want God to develop such godly character in your life that it impacts your grandchildren's grandchildren? Oh, that'd be cool. Generations to come talking about the character God put in your life? Man, that'd be awesome. Some of you are thinking, wait, time out. I, God has not entrusted me with kids. Well, you're not out. Man, you can apply yourself to missions and outreach and generosity in ways that I can't. And, and listen, I, when Shannon and I met, we were uh, students at two different colleges. The way we met, we went on the same summer mission project out in Ocean City, New Jersey, 1990. Do the math. <laughs> a little while ago. But, uh, so, and uh, while we were out there, there was a gentleman named Bill Donaldson. Bill was an a older guy, lived in Ocean City, no wife, no children. He was called a friend of the project. And what he did is he just hung around and he poured into one college dude after another, after another, after another, and he has a legacy of impact that is impressive. I want you to think of a goal of God developing such godly character in your life that generations to come will speak of it. I mean, you understand that makes your golf handicap seem really insignificant. It's not worth it. Takes time, though. We're talking about sanctification, growth in godly character, becoming like Jesus Christ. It moves slower than we want at times. It takes time, okay? So the kingdom takes time. Now, the third hint that Jesus gives us is this. It spreads. It spreads. Now, it's certainly clear with leaven, right? You put it in the lump of dough and it spreads throughout. We understand that it spreads. But even the mustard seed is an illustration of something that spreads. Let me explain. Some of you grew up in church. I didn't grow up in church that, as much. But some of you did. And from an early age, you might have seen a picture of a mustard seed like this. That's a real mustard. See how tiny those things are? Small things, right? Like that is really, really tiny. Now, you probably saw that and was coupled with, hey, listen, you plant this thing and it grows into a huge tree like this. And that makes the impact, makes a statement. Small things, big impact, right? The problem is that it is botanically inaccurate. That's an oak tree. That's not a mustard tree. That's an oak tree, right? The mustard tree actually looks like this. Quite different, right? Some of you are mad at me right now because I just popped your bubble on a childhood image, right? Sorry about that. There it is. But there is something to learn here. The kingdom of God is not about impressive height. It is not about an oak tree. That's not the kingdom of God. The mustard shrub bush tree thing only grows to a height of about 10 feet max. Usually it's about three to four feet high. But the point is, it's an invasive species. Do you know what an invasive species is? Like, okay, when we moved to Kent 20 years ago, we bought a home and uh, the lawn was riddled with weeds. So I went to work spreading some stuff and spraying it and I killed a lot of the weeds, but I could not get rid of this guy right here. That is called wild violet. It's of the devil. 
<laughs> and that's the, my lawn looked like the picture on the left there. Uh, and after time of spreading chemicals, look, I researched, I found more chemicals. I, I would tell you what they were, but you'd be like, you killed the bees. It was 20 years ago. We didn't know about the bee thing, all right? Eventually, I got my lawn to look like the one on the right. But I'll tell you what, you know how I had to finish the job? By hand, one after another. Because wild violet is an invasive species. Once it gets in your yard, it by nature, it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. That's what it does. The mustard tree does the same thing. It is an invasive species. Once you get it in your garden, it's impossible to get out and it spreads all over the place. That's the kingdom of God. It is not a big, impressive, lone ranger oak tree. Nope. But it is a spreading community, supporting each other, interconnected, interdependent, loving each other. That is the kingdom of God. And as it spreads, it makes room for other birds to nest in its branches. Folds more and, people, more, and more people inside to it. See, listen, if your life vision is all about you, and you lack a life vision that has impact on other people, then you have a small life. Because you see, the kingdom of God is not about how it grows up. It's about how it grows out. That's the kingdom of God. It spreads. The mustard tree is not one big, imp- impressive oak tree. It is a spreading community. And that's the kingdom of God. And so it started, listen, it started with a few very unlikely, very unqualified 12 guys in Israel 2,000 years ago. And now it has spread and spread and spread around the globe. So the people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are in the process of being folded into it. It spreads. Now, as it spreads, uh, the fourth thing that the kingdom of God does is it blesses others. (laughs) Listen, 50 pounds of dough, you know that woman wasn't eating all that, right? That's enough to feed 100 people. That woman was preparing to feed others, to bless others. Or, and what you have there is something small that has big impact but blesses others. Or what about the mustard seed? The mustard seed, the goal was not the tree. Jesus put something in there very intentionally. The goal was that the birds could nest in its branches. So the goal wasn't its, an end in and of itself, but to bless others. And notice it was by grace. Let me ask you this. What did the birds do to build the tree? Nothing. The gardener did all of it. God did all of it, right? The birds just made nests there. Imagine if, I want you to imagine if Jesus said, hey, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, the kingdom of God is like a gardener who goes out to his garden and yells at the birds and shames them for not having shelter and gives them commands so that they could work harder and build shelters for themselves. It's not what he said. The gardener built a tree and the birds just nested in it. That's grace. And so as we are small things with big impact, over time God uses us, it spreads. We bless others by grace. By grace, that's the kingdom. Now again, the question is, what is the kingdom of God like? And the fifth and last thing here is that the kingdom is all about Jesus. It's all about the king. You don't have a kingdom without a king. So it's all about King Jesus. 
Maybe you've heard uh, the thing before where, you know, there was a kid back in our kid's zone in class and the teacher said, hey, class, what is gray and furry and has a fluffy tail and eats nuts and lives in trees? And the kid thought to himself, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm at church. I should probably say Jesus, right? And so if we're saying, what is the kingdom of God like? I'll tell you right now, the answer is Jesus. It's like Jesus. Think about our king. Small thing with big impact, a very humble birth, lived homeless, died like a criminal. That's a small life with big impact. Not immediately obvious at the time, people didn't know. It grew over time, such that these 12 dudes in a backwater province of the Roman Empire, now it's a tree that engulfs around the globe and is spreading everywhere as we speak so that every tribe, tongue, and nation might eventually nest in its branches. Spreading kingdom all over the globe, one beautiful family. And then what about blessing others? Well, you know, just the eternal salvation of humankind. That's all that Jesus did. You know, like redemption, reconciliation with God, reconnection to God, folded into this one gorgeous family of faith. New life and freedom from bondage to sin. Yeah, I think Jesus is in the process of blessing others. I want you to go spread his kingdom. If you are citizens of that kingdom, disciples of Christ, then our goal is to go and extend and spread his kingdom. So I want you to go small. Don't go big, go small. Be humble people. Die to self and then let God use that mighty weapon. It'll take time to build your character. Yeah, keep growing. And let it spread. Let other people know about Jesus. And then we bless people as we go. You can do that. Listen, you can do it. If you have belief in yourself. And if you have faith in yourself. Seriously, you're going to let me get away with that? That's not biblical. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say anything about having faith in yourself. That's not what we're called to do. In fact, to, to seal the deal on that one, I'm going to borrow ahead from Luke 17. We're going to grab a passage from there and pull it into this Sunday because it is linked as a companion passage by the illustration of the mustard seed. Look at this in Luke 17, verses 5 through 6. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. That is, give us more faith. We need more faith. Help us with that, Jesus. Here's what he said. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. <laughs> okay, first of all, the, the point, it's not magic, people. Okay, that's not what's going on here. It's not so that I can play uh, God and command things and they have to obey me. So now I can uh, tell rocks to turn into gold and bam, look at that, I'm awesome. That's not it. We have a word for that. It's not called faith, it's called witchcraft. <laughs> That's not what's going on here. What is being said is that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can uproot a mulberry tree. Great, more botany. So you got to know that a mulberry tree, that was like their oak tree. It was a big, impressive, grew up to 35 feet. 
For that height, it had to have an impressive root structure, and it did. The rabbis held that the roots of a mulberry tree would stay in the ground for 600 years. How do you uproot something like that? Jesus said, all you need is a mustard seed, and you can get it done. You can toss that thing around. The point is that it is not about size. Size doesn't matter. Don't you dare tweet that out, okay? Like, don't, don't, no. The point is, when it comes to faith, Jesus is saying, size doesn't matter. In fact, listen, it's not that your faith is powerful. It's that you have faith in a powerful God. It's very different. It's not that your faith is powerful. It's that you have faith in a powerful God. And therefore, it's not the amount of your faith that matters at all. That's Jesus' point. It is the object of your faith that counts. Towards what is your faith pointing? Listen, if I have like really big, huge, awesome, solid faith in the wrong thing, doesn't matter hill beans. I could be a snowman thinking I'd, I'd have a blast in summer. I, I'm not just making that up. Any Frozen fans? Remember Olaf's song? All right, I've shortened it, but you'll enjoy. Watch this. Oh, I don't know why, but I've always loved the idea of summer and sun and all things hot. Really? I'm guessing you don't have much experience with heat. Nope. But sometimes I like to close my eyes and imagine what it'd be like when summer does come. <sighs> Bees the buzz, kids will blow dandelion fuzz, and I'll be doing whatever snow does in summer. I drink in my hand, my snow up against the burning sand, probably getting gorgeously tanned in summer. Ooh, winter's a good time to stay in and cuddle, but put me in summer and I'll be a happy snowman. When life gets rough, I like to hold on to my dream of relaxing in the summer sun, just letting off steam. Oh, the sky will be blue. And you guys will be there too <laughs> When I finally do what frozen things do in summer I'm going to tell him Don't you dare <laughs> Alright, let, uh, let me first apologize to you parents of young kids who are sick of frozen You came into the adult service and you got frozen again, right? So sorry about that But there it is If you, if you notice, like, Olaf, he really, 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 really believes it. He's got great faith in the wrong thing, in the wrong thing. And, and so he's off on that. It's the object of your faith that matters, not the amount of your faith. So here's what I want you to know clearly. I don't want you to have great faith in God. I want you to have faith in a great God. It can be the size of a mustard seed. Doesn't matter. I don't want you to have great faith in God. I want you to have faith in a great God. And so, so if you have a mustard seed, then what you're going to say is, listen, I've got a mustard seed and I'm not afraid to use it. Say hello to my little friend. Right? Like, like, I'm good to go here. So, so you have small faith, but in a big, big God. That's what you want. And so that you know that God is real, that he is powerful, that he's active, that he's on the move. He's a great God, and you just need a mustard seed of faith in that God. God, listen, can God do big things with your life? 
I mean, your little, under-resourced, insignificant, disqualified, damaged life. Some of you are thinking right now, I don't, I don't know that I can do big things for God. I don't know that I can do big things for God. You know what? You're right. You can't. But God can do amazing things with and through your life. The smallest thing in God's hand is a dangerous, dangerous weapon. Remember, it was the people, the people Jesus corrected all the time. They were pretty sure they could do big things for God. They were oak tree kind of people. Big, strong, impressive. We got this. From their religious perch looking down on mustard seeds. Meanwhile, Jesus is there saying, just give me the mustard seeds. We'll be good. If you have faith that God is real, that he's active, that he's up to something, that he's on the move, if you have faith that what really counts is the king and his kingdom, what counts is eternity, what counts are souls, and you come to the point where you say, my life doesn't count anymore, my comfort doesn't count, those are dangerous people. Very dangerous weapons in the hands of God. People of faith. Maybe the faith of just a mustard seed. But I'll be honest with you. Many of us won't see big impact because we're holding on to small things. And I don't want you to live a small life. I want you to live a big life. I want to live a big life. Don't let your life be consumed by small issues, but big issues. Like, that's why we're into foster care. That's why we're into addiction recovery ministry. That's why we're into racial reconciliation. Those are big, worthy issues. Maybe God will call you to work on human trafficking. Or, or maybe it's just populating eternity by letting the message of Christ spread and spread to more and more people. Or, or you can let your life be consumed by what series Netflix might drop this year. They're threatening office again. That's a problem. I get it. But, but really, is your life going to be consumed with that? Is, are you going to be consumed with the fact that so-and-so slighted you at work or at home or whatever? Or is it just, I, I just want to maximize my pleasure and minimize my pain and also for my children? Or do you want a big life? I don't, listen, I don't want you to have faith in yourself. And I don't even want you to have great faith in God. I want you to have faith in a great God. And, and then let him, as you love the king and you love his kingdom, then you let him use something small to make a big impact. It'll take time, it'll spread to others, it'll bless others, but that's what we want to be about. So to that end, would you bow your heads with me right now? Close your eyes for a second. I, I want you to ask yourself this question. What's going to be different this week? Like if you really go Gladys Allward on your week, what's that going to look like? And now I want you to think about it the next six months. We're, we're at the beginning of July. We're looking at the second half of 2019 right now. If you were to let God really apply these things in your life, what would that look like for the next six months? And then I want you to stretch out the timeline. Decades, the rest of your life, before you stand before God and give an account. What is he calling you to do? What would it look like for you to live a mustard seed life in the hands of God?
Father, we come before you right now as your children asking you to do exactly that. First, we want to thank you. Thank you for your grace. We didn't build the garden. We didn't build the tree. You're the gardener. You did it. And we just get to rest and nest in its branches. Thank you for taking us in. Now we want to follow our king into his kingdom and spread it like crazy because it's the only thing worth anything. Would you teach all of us, myself, all my brothers and sisters here individually, like speak into our lives this week that we would know where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do to spread your kingdom. Lead us there, Lord, please, and I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.